Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, please. For all of that, the best I can say about myself is the Lord allows, allows us to rejoice that our names are written down in heaven. There's nothing to do with, with me or believe me, there's, I know there's nothing special about me. Just uh, God just opened the door because he wanted it done. And that's it. And now the rest is in his hands. Right? It's like that parable in, in, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 4 where the guy goes out and sows seed and then goes home and goes to sleep. That's what we do. We go and we sow the seeds and then God goes to work. The enemy goes to work too, right? And goes back out to the field and there's crops growing, there's weeds growing, but that's it. We just sow the seeds, maybe come along and water a little bit. God does the rest. We pray, we pray, and we stay faithful and we stay at it, right? Until Jesus comes one day or until he calls us home. That's it. That's what we're called to. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, now that we've come to this time in our meeting here where we can read and share from the Bible, my prayer, Lord God, is that everyone who is here today in the sound of my voice is a person who has faith in you, Lord Jesus Christ, and is someone who reads from this book every day. How, how can we know you without knowing what you've revealed in this, your, your special revelation, Lord God? I pray that as we read and study today, you would open our eyes to wonderful things from your word. That we would be encouraged to serve and that our faith would be edified. If there would be anyone, Lord, who is here today or is listening to this, who needs to be saved. I pray, Lord God, that they would put their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the only way to salvation, and that that would come through clearly in my words. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Verse 27 of Matthew chapter 19, and I'm going to read, as Chris said before, right into chapter 20, because the parable that occupies the first 16 verses of chapter 20 actually explains the last verse of chapter 19. So we'll just take it all in one chunk here today, and in our limited Lord's Supper Day time, we'll see how much we get through. If we don't get through it all, we have to wait two weeks to come back to it. Let's see where it goes. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands... For my name's sake 
shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said to them, you go also into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And at about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one hired us. So he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more. And they likewise received each a denarius. And when they had received it, they complained against the landover, saying, these last men have worked only one hour. And you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give this last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I'm good? So the last will be first, and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. So the setting for all of this is the aftermath of this discussion that Jesus had with the young, rich ruler. And if you remember, what happened there was after Jesus had confronted him in his self-righteousness, and there was sort of a subtle change in the theme of the conversation, really all on the same subject, but Jesus unmasked that the thing that made the young rich ruler blind and oblivious to his own sinfulness was the fact that he possessed great riches and great wealth. And then to just reiterate the meaning behind all that, and I, I really I thought about it some more, when, when, when Jesus listed out those commandments, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your parents, love your neighbor as yourself. When the fellow said, I have kept all of these, you know, the, the thing, it, it, it's not I think that the guy was actually trying to assert that he had never told a lie in his life. It's not that he was trying to assert necessarily that he was perfect. What was he asserting? He was asserting that he had kept the law enough to be right before God, and his evidence of that was his riches. I have riches. Therefore, I certainly must have kept the law enough to be right before God. Right? And so Jesus said, all right, you want to do everything perfectly? Go sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you come and pick up your cross and follow me. And the guy goes away sad because he had great riches. And that's where Jesus then said that whole thing about 
you know, look how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Easier for an am- camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, which prompted the disciples to say, well, who can be saved then? Well, it seems impossible with God. It seems impossible with men. But everything is possible with God. And then Peter speaks up in that context and asks this question. See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? What is Peter doing there? He's contrasting himself with that young, rich ruler who, when was told, okay, you want to be perfect? Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, pick up your cross and follow it. Peter's like, well, we did that. You know? So, so what about us? And what I find just refreshingly honest in another, yet another one of these Jesus being Jesus statements is that you don't get a long theological explanation from Jesus about how you can't earn your salvation by leaving everything and all that stuff. Jesus just says, look, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you will have followed me. You're going to sit on 12 thrones. What? Listen, these, these, these disciples, you know, fishermen, one of them was a tax collector, a, a, a viewed as a traitor to the nation. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and sits on His throne, there's going to be 12 thrones for you, and along with me, you're going to judge Israel, which judge used in the, in the, the biblical understanding of that word where it appears, it, it means basically to be a ruler. Sometimes when it's used, it's even used of like a militaristic ruler. But basically what he's saying is, you're actually going to rule with me when I come in my kingdom. So he basically says, don't worry, I know. I see, I see, right? I, I, I see it all, you know? And then he goes on and he says, everyone. So then he does what? He, he takes what is a small view, the micro view of his 12, and turns it into a macro view of everyone, right? So not just you 12, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and and inherit eternal life. Right. So what he's saying there, he's not. Listen, just head this off at the pass. All right. You probably know what I'm going to say. He's not advocating that you need to abandon your family in order to like be in the kingdom of God. Right. Otherwise, it would make no sense when Paul says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He's not saying that. But in other places, think about this. Jesus said that I have come not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. And what happens is in the course of living your life as a Christian, sometimes people, even the closest ones to you, will turn against you. And Jesus says that, listen, for those who suffer through that division that he brings, even into a family, even into a marriage maybe, those who just soldier on through that, serving him and following him, he knows and he is with you and he will reward. Do you understand? He says, he says actually, you will receive a hundredfold. In other words, 
Think about what you've lost. Think about what you have sacrificed. Think about what you have given up for the sake of being my servant. Now listen, none of this earns your salvation. Jesus is not speaking here about anyone meriting a place in his kingdom. When he says, and inherit eternal life, what he's doing is he's saying, this hundredfold that you're going to receive is on top of the eternal life, which is the blessing of his grace for believing the gospel, right? So a person who repents and trusts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their sins are forgiven, and they inherit the gift of eternal life. But on top of that, as you live and as you serve the Lord, there will be times you will notice in your life that maybe certain things are going to be lost to you because you have devoted yourself to Christ. Certain relationships, certain situations in life, maybe certain opportunities for living because you're going to sacrifice certain things. You're not, you're not going to go through life the same way anymore. Maybe you look around and you see how people are able to succeed through fraud and cheating and lying and they're able to advance and get themselves ahead. You're going to walk away from that kind of life. You're going to see how people are going to just party and enjoy themselves and satisfy every lust of their flesh and live immorally. You're going to walk away from all that and supposedly miss out on all of that, right? You're going to see how people walk through life and just seem to grab onto everything they can and just have a good time as they go through their lives, but that's not you anymore when you come to Christ. You've received eternal life. You haven't experienced the fullness of that salvation yet until you get there, but you're going to go through life and you might feel a sense of loss. You might feel an earthly sense of, uh, uh, of, of being left behind, so to speak, of all of the things that the world is pursuing and gathering for itself. Jesus says, all of that that you lose, first of all, I see it, and I know it. And as you leave all of that, and you follow me, and you serve me, in addition to the eternal life that you receive when you believe me, you're also going to receive reward a hundredfold for all of that sacrifice for living my way, serving my kingdom, preaching my gospel, loving my people etc., etc., etc. Jesus asserts here that in addition to being Savior, He is also rewarder. And He's a sovereign rewarder. He rewards as He wishes. The parable I don't think I need to go point by point through the whole parable because even though it's 16 verses long, it's very straightforward. Jesus uses this idea in this parable to explain what he said in verse 30. Many who are first will be last and the last first. And that's actually a very simple statement that says, if the first are going to be last, but the last are going to be first... How does that work? There's only one way that that works, and that's for everybody to arrive at the same time. If the first are going to be last and the last are going to be first, then everyone has to get there at the same time. Otherwise, the last aren't first and the first aren't last. Y'all got to, listen, 
That sounds very confusing, but the parable makes it really clear, right? The parable, Jesus says, is the Lord is the kingdom of heaven. All of his parables seem to point at the kingdom of heaven. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That is to say, here's who occupies the kingdom of heaven. Who? Laborers. Not that they work to enter the kingdom of heaven because they were sought out and chosen and hired by the vine owner, weren't they? Right? They didn't come banging on the vine owner's door and saying, I choose to work in your vineyard today. No, the vine dresser, the vine owner went out, the landowner went out and found them. He goes out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And you see how it does. The first one he hires, they agree for a denarius to work for the day. Great. Then he goes out again a couple hours later, sees some guys standing around. I choose you too. You want to go? go work and I'll pay you what's right. Then a couple hours later, I'll pay you what's right if you go and work. Then a couple hours later, even all the way up to the end of the day with one hour left to go, he goes out and he finds people. And he says, go work. Go work and I'll reward you what's fair. You see what he's illustrating? He's not illustrating that you work to get saved. He is illustrating that you work for a reward. And he is the sovereign rewarder. To work to merit salvation is impossible. It's an insult to God. But once having been saved by his grace, to work and labor for a reward is actually something that he encourages. I mean, he says it, and it's supposed to be an encouragement to labor in his kingdom. So at the end of the parable, when everybody comes to get paid, they all get paid the same. And of course, the first ones are like, well, wait a minute, these guys that came in at the 11th hour, you gave them the same as you gave us? What gives? And of course, what's the response? I'm giving you exactly what I told you I'd give you. And it's mine. I can do whatever I want with it. What does that teach us about the kingdom of heaven? God rewards as he wishes. And what? The last will be first. The first will be last. The first will be last and the last first, to put it in the proper order. But in a way, it doesn't really matter. What it shows is everybody arrived at the same time. Everybody received what was just and fair Everybody received exactly what the Lord desired to give. We're saved by his grace. Now we labor in his kingdom and we're all going to arrive at the same time and every one of us will receive what is just and fair. I want to make a few points for you today. There's four quick things that I think I can show you really fast. Number one, in this passage of Scripture, there's a few things you need to realize. First of all, Jesus speaks of a regeneration. That's not like the regeneration of an individual soul. There, he's speaking about the regeneration of, really, the kingdom itself. When he comes again, that kingdom, which basically doesn't exist 
in the world anymore, just like uh, uh, the, the manifest presence of it is God living in his church. But one day when Jesus returns, the kingdom in its fullness will be regenerated and experienced in the earth with the presence of Jesus right here and his disciples sitting on these thrones and everyone who has left this or that or this or that receiving the reward that they deserve. So that implies a few things. It implies that Jesus is going to return, right? When Jesus does return, he's going to establish his kingdom. And when he returns, he's going to establish his kingdom and reward his servants. Wow. Number one, the Lord sees our work. Do you know that? You might labor for the Lord and you may think you're getting nowhere. I struggle with that. I do. Some of you I'm close enough with that I bear myself maybe a little too much, but I stay out in front of all of you and tell you there are times in my work where I wonder if what I do matters at all. And I'm reminded it's not about mattering. It's just about being faithful to God and doing what he calls you to do. And in that sense, I'm no different than any one of you. We are saved by his grace. We are now servants in his kingdom, and we are called to use our gifts and be faithful and trust that God always sees when you serve. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9 says this. Beloved, we're confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You see that? You see that? The writer of Hebrews says to the believers, after kind of issuing some really challenging words concerning the true nature of salvation, he says, we're confident of better things for you. Not that you're going to fall away, but that you're going to stick with it and you're going to actually have things in your life that accompany salvation, which speaks, I think, both of the work that we do now as a believer and ultimately of the reward that we will receive one day. And then he says, God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of what? Love, love. See, that's how the servant of God works. He works because he loves, right? We're forgiven much, we love much, and so we serve much. And even if our service, all it seems like we receive is rejection, we trust God. We walk by faith and we trust God that he sees as we serve and he is not unjust that he's going to forget. So it's a test of your faith. But we are called to work and to serve and to labor. And he promises one day that there will be a reward. And that's the second point. There is reward. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says this. I'm going through this fast, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I think the point comes through, which is all that matters. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul warning them about their cliquishness, divisiveness, they had, they had divided themselves into little subgroups in the church and 
Some said, I follow Paul. Some said, I follow Peter. Some said, I follow Apollos. Paul says, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? But ministers, servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now listen to this. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive what? His own reward, what? According to his own labor. So we don't divide ourselves over I do this, I do that. We serve the Lord and we trust the Lord that what we do is seen by Him and He will actually, by His beauty and His love and His grace and His generosity, reward those who in faith serve Him. It goes on. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You're God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, which sort of kind of blows the whole idea of dividing themselves out of the water if Christ is the same foundation for everybody, right? Now, watch this, ready? If anyone builds on this foundation, and this is talking about the work that we do, listen, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day, which is what Jesus called when talking, answering Peter's question, the regeneration, the day when the Lord returns, will declare it because of its, because it's revealed by fire. What does fire do to wood, hay, and straw? Destroys it. It burns it up. What does fire do to those precious metals and stones? Purifies them and refines them, right? So each one of our work, each one of us, each one of us, the work that we do in service to the Lord will be tested. Wood, hay, and stubble will burn up. Silver, gold, and precious stones will be refined. And what does it go on to say? If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, what? He will receive a reward. Right? So Paul's doing what? He's telling them, don't divide yourselves over false sects of human loyalty which have no place in the body of Christ. Devote yourself to serving Christ. Work. Because one day, he's not talking about earning your salvation. He's speaking to people who are already saved by God's grace. Everyone who is a legitimate recipient of this letter is a Christian already and already has the gift of eternal life. In addition to the inheritance of eternal life with which God promises, there is reward for work. Just work. Just labor. Just serve him. Just share the gospel. Just use your gifts. Just love one another. Just minister to people's needs. Just pray for people. Just do whatever the Lord calls you to do. Do as much good in the kingdom of God as the Lord gifts you and leads you by his spirit and by his grace, shows you that you're able to do. And just trust him. He sees it. He won't forget it. And it'll be tested in the end. And if it doesn't burn up, you'll be rewarded. Do you catch this? God not only promises eternal life, but somehow in that immeasurably deep, good, loving heart of his, 
He says, on top of all that, I'm going to reward the service that you do in my name while you're living out your life and walking by my spirit and walking by faith. Shouldn't this like fire every Christian up? Shouldn't this like motivate every Christian to realize? And that's the whole idea, to be motivated to realize that the Lord wants us to serve him. So you see, like, like when Peter asks the question, what about us? Jesus is like, don't worry. Anyone who has left lands, has been cut off from their family, whatever, for my sake. Listen, you guys are going to sit on 12 thrones and anyone else is going to be rewarded. What a loving father. What a loving, beautiful father God is that we serve. Our Abba, our dad, who owns, by the way, everything. You give it all up now to serve him. You devote it all to serving him. And what does he say? A hundredfold. Forget about it. A hundredfold. You think you lost a lot? Where do you see what the reward is? That's what Jesus is saying. It sounds like so like, we're not supposed, oh, as Christians, we're not supposed to think like that. That's what he said. Everything you gave up, listen, don't worry about it. You're going to receive a hundredfold as well as eternal life. Be motivated by it. Oh, third thing, just so you're aware, as we're talking about the Lord seeing our work and we're talking about the fact that there is reward, thirdly, there is judgment. Right? Regardless of how you feel about this, regardless of maybe how much you're with me on this, one thing you got to agree on is that we're all going to stand one day and be judged. And there's a couple of very familiar verses about this. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9 says, We make it our aim. Look, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all, all of us, that each one may receive, receive, receive the things done in the body according to what he, is, what he has done, whether good or bad. Simple, right? We're going to be judged. It's not a judgment of whether you're saved or not. Again, like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is written to people who have already been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says to these people who have been saved, what you do in the body, that is, in this physical body that you live in now, that is to say, in this life, the things that you do in this life, you will be accountable for. Not accountable in a way as to whether or not you're judged worthy of entering the kingdom of heaven or not. Based on Christ's worthiness in whom you have faith, you enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? But then he says here, we will receive the things done in the body. He's talking about being rewarded for what we've done, whether good or bad. So there's reward for good, loss suffered for bad. Good, bad. Devote yourself. That's why he says we make it our aim, whether present or absent. No matter where we are, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him in everything. Because we're accountable. Romans 14 says the same thing, basically. The final point of all this is what? I'll close with this. 
In fact, uh, Jed and Amy, you can start working your way back up here, so we'll sing that last song. Let me just close with this thought. The thing that comes out of all of this concept of God being our rewarder is that he rewards out of the goodness of his own heart. He is sovereign. When he says in this parable, both before the parable and after the parable, the last are first, the first are last. That is a God who is justly and rightly exercising his own will. None of us has the right to complain because someone who we think doesn't do as much is just as much part of the kingdom of God and may be rewarded exactly the same as you. Even Jesus said among fruit-bearing believers, there would be some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. Do you understand? Some are called to much. Some are called to little. Some people are called to big, big, big ministry. Some are called to maybe small micro-talk one person at a time. Listen, whatever it is that God gifts you to do, calls you to do, you be faithful. That's the key. Because he rewards not according to what people look at and view as, I think this is right, I think this is right, I think this is right. They got a denarius. I should have gotten more than that because I worked more. No. Everything is God's. And what he rewards is your faithfulness. What he rewards is your service. You be faithful. You be faithful. Listen, this should be a burden lift. It is for me. You be faithful in what he's called you to do. And you serve. And you trust that not only will you inherit eternal life, but all that you sacrifice in his service, he will reward you way beyond you can even imagine, ought to encourage you as you live for Christ to fully devote yourself to us. Look, the hymn said, drops of grief can't repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. It's all that I can do. That's how you live before the landowner. Come on, guys. Let's all stand up and sing this last song.